Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back, everybody. It's Independent Intel. I'm your host, Kimberly Bomani, and I have a special guest on my guy, Zach McKinnell, otherwise known as Blue Bloods, here to speak on some college football news. College football, obviously, week zero started the week prior. Um, now we're amongst week one, where basically all the institutions in Division One football get to play and start off their seasons. But before we go into the topics I have at hand, um, Blue Man, so you've been on the grind throughout the all season. Got your new show with the Alcorn, one of Alcorn's positional coaches. It's been taking off pretty well. How excited are you to finally be able to talk about college football being played on the gridiron and know more about what potentially could happen based upon maybe clippings you've read from preseason and um, training camp practice? Man, I'm I'm always excited for some football, man. I think that there was a time where I was absolutely over the preseason talk, man. It it, it got out of it, it honestly got out of hand at some point because it was just like, man, we I just want to see some football being played, man. But I'm on the road. Uh, last week I got to cover the FCS kickoff. This week I'll be covering. Uh, well, I'll be while we're recording, I'm, I'm on my way to cover Nickel State versus Sacramento. Yeah, man, I'm flying up to Spend, Indiana to you know, go cover Tennessee State's historic game against Notre Dame, man. So I'm excited. Excited for you, man. Excited for you. Obviously, the best one that you hit hit the nail on, um, being able to witness the first HBCU football program play Notre Dame. It's never happened. Tennessee State being able to be a part of that history in itself will be amazing to see, especially for you in person when you're on, you know, when you're in South Bend. So um, happy for you that you're able to experience that. So let's dive into one of my first topics at hand, Jackson State statement win against South Carolina State University last week in week zero. Is that potentially a sign of things to come week one? Um, Tigers in their first game blew uh, the T.C. Taylor era. They dominated South Carolina State. It was a rematch of the Celebration Bowl a couple years ago. Uh, Jason Brown, Virginia Tech transfer, Played for St. Francis um, in the FCS level a few years ago. First game as a Tiger, 26 of 30, threw for nearly 360 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. The team as a whole ran for 138 yards rushing and a score led by Wofford transfer Irv Mulligan and UAPB transfer Isaac Peppers. Kind of led the defense at the, at the linebacker position. Six tackles, two TFLs, and a sack. They won the game in dominant fashion, 37 to 7, by outgaining the Bulldogs 494 to 201. Blue, first question to you before we dive deeper into this topic. Do you think Jackson State's week zero performance is a sign of things to come as they prepare for FAMU week one this Sunday? Or were there or was their dominant performance last week just a flash in the pan? Um, I'm not willing to say that it was just a flash in the pan. I mean, obviously you have to keep it up. We've seen teams come out really strong early in the season and not live up to the hype. I mean you can point to multiple different examples of that, but I, I think I think this was needed for Jackson State and and Coach CC Taylor because I look at it as if they would have lost that game, if they wouldn't have played well, then all of the pressure would have been on the Tigers this weekend going into the Orange Blossom Classic, which is a crucial divisional matchup. I mean, it's decided the SWAC champion the past few years. I mean, there, there's a lot of riding this weekend in Miami with a dominant win like that. Even if Jackson doesn't win this weekend, I feel like it's taken so much pressure off of T.C. Taylor because I, I think it showed that the, the drop-off isn't as steep as we thought. 
And I think it showed that his coaching staff nailed transfer portal evals. That's that's a topic that I've been very vocal on is in terms of you can be very active on the recruiting trail, especially in, in, in the transfer portal. But if you're not landing impactful transfers at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. You look at some of the new faces, Jason Brown, Nailed that eval, man. I mean, you don't throw I, – I don't care who it was against, but you're going up against a South Carolina State defense that we thought was going to be pretty good. Had Has an All-American candidate, Patrick Godbold on the defensive line, a former MEAC defensive player of the year, Jablonski Green. They have pieces. Aiden Weber uh, transferred from De- Delaware State. They, this, this defense wasn't bare in terms of talent. And he goes and throws for almost 363 touchdowns, doesn't make hardly any mistakes. You have to give him his credit. The Wofford transfer, Irv Mulligan, looks like one of the best running backs in the SWAC. I compared his, the way he runs and his style. He's the closest thing the SWAC has to Jarvion Howard, in my opinion. I think his potential is to the root. You mentioned Isaac Peppers. Nailed that eval. We already know what Sayus Guthrie has proven. They they landed key impact transfers, and they nailed the evals. I think this is a sign of things to come more so than it is just a flash in the pan. And I think it was a, a major statement by T.C. Taylor and the staff. Yeah, Blue, um, I think you hit a lot of key elements head on. Um, My personal take is I think it's a combination of both. But let me start and focus on the good because I do have a lot of good takeaways for Jackson State from that game. Um, For starters, look, man, they're going to be a balanced football team, I think, even though we didn't really get a huge inside in-depth look on how they were preparing themselves throughout camp. Um, they did drop content such as videos and quotes and things of that nature. But we kind of knew coming in, we're going to be a balanced football team. And that showed 33 pass, 33 runs to 30 passes. And I thought they ran it through the ball particularly well. Um, Jason Brown, highly tenured college vet. Um, he talked about it post-game wise. He's been playing college football for basically this is his seventh year. And he looked like a seven-year vet. Um, and this was as the game went on, South Carolina State Blue, they started to get home. Like they started to hit him in the mouth hard. Their physicality started to show with their pressure on the quarterback. And he didn't wilter, he didn't fold. He was very deliberate and very precise with the short and intermediate game. The long ball aspect does need some work, but he did what he needed to do. Um, made plays, didn't turn the ball over. Anytime you almost have more incompletions than turnovers, um, that's always a great thing. Uh, which, I mean, it wasn't really almost. He really did have no turnovers, only four incompletions. Um, and they used the tight ends very well, Blue. I mean, um, we saw um, three tight ends be a part of the passing game. I think all of them scored touchdowns. So I think that's something that I took away from it is they're going to be very offensively creative and balanced this year. And I think if they can do that in a conference in the SWAC that's known for physical defensive play, that's going to always put them ahead of the eight ball because you can always rely on Jackson State every week to at least get you 21 points. And if you can get 21 points in the SWAC where a lot of offenses struggle to muster 17 to 20 consistently every week, you're always going to give yourself the best chance to win. Now, defensively, the pass rush didn't really seem like it was there, but the interior play on the defensive line was impressive. Um, and they returned a lot of key guys from that aspect of, Devontae Davis, for starters. Um, the linebacking play outside of Peppers remains to be seen. And then secondary-wise, they just weren't challenged. And the bottom line is South Carolina State's offense, we can agree, they were incompetent. And that was a lot of that had to do with Corey Fields. He looked horrible. And it was kind of a reminder of why this team was 3-8. and eight. I think we all, we both, picked Jackson State to win coming into 
week zero, but we thought the game would be close because it was just the unknown. Like, okay, whole new team. What's their offensive identity going to be like? Is their defense as good as what they used to be a year ago? We don't think so because they lost a lot of high impact guys, transfer portal graduation. And so we were like, okay, um, rematch from two years ago. But he was known to kind of get his team prepared no matter how talented they are. So close game. And it wasn't that. Uh, we just saw a quarterback incompetence on the Bulldogs end at Jackson State. They outcoached and outplayed South Carolina State thoroughly to a victory. But my next question for you is, as we segue to FAMU, Moose is better than Fields. Their offensive line is going to be better than South Carolina State's. How can Jackson State defensively not really match the level of productivity they had week zero where we could be honest, they probably should have shut the Bulldogs out. But how can they at least be productive on that end to where this game doesn't become a shootout? Um, I mean, I think I think it's obvious to say they're gonna face a much different offensive test this weekend. I think, like you said, Musa's a much better quarterback before he feels. I don't think anyone fought differently going into last week. You look at you look at Family's offensive line, they have some really nice pieces, Jalen Goss. Uh, Cameron Coven, you got the uh, transfer from LSU coming in. They've got a Jacksonville State transfer in Ashton Grable. And they got a lot of pieces. Wide receiving core, you bring in Marcus Riley to combine with Jamari Sharid. I think the wide receiving core is absolutely more talented. I, and that was my, uh, to be honest, when I picked Jackson last week, that was one of my biggest concerns for South Carolina State was, and they were super unproven at the wide receiver position outside of Shaq Davis last year. And I think it proved, I mean, their best receiving threat last week was to tight end the transfer from Chattanooga. And I, I think what this weekend for Jackson, you want to see a replica, uh, like a replication of how well the defensive tackles played. Because at the end of the day, regardless of the offense you're facing, if you're winning the line of scrimmage on the interior with those defensive tackles being as dominant as they are, it's really hard to stop. Regard- I mean, it's hard to be a productive offense when you're losing the battle on the interior like that. So you want to see that. I, I agree with you where I've said that I don't know if the edge rushers played bad. I don't think they played great. But what I think happened is the defensive tackles were playing so well, being so productive, being so disruptive, that it kind of took away some of the opportunities that a Philip Webb and Antonio Doyle may have had to make an impact. I agree with you that the linebackers could take a step forward. I thought Isaac Peppers was great. I think his athleticism, his experience really shined last week. The, the question mark for me becomes, and I think it's the matchup I really want to see, is the secondary of Jackson. You have the Isaiah Scuffins, you have the Jalen Hughes, the K-Fives, all these guys. How do they match up against the Marcus Rileys and Jamari Sharids? Like, are they able to create separation? Are they able to win those one-on-one matchups? And then it's just Moose's development, I think, is the biggest thing because we all agree that Corey Fields was not hit last week. But Musa had some really bad games Obviously, it was his worst game in the season. But if you remember, he didn't play particularly well against South Carolina State early last year. That was a close comeback win for them. They were on the verge of losing to Grambling State on the road last year. And against Alabama State, he made a lot of mistakes against a very talented secondary. So has Musa taken that next step? Now, historically looking at it, quarterbacks in Willie Simmons' system generally take the next step in year two. But how big of a step is it and how much did Musa improve? That's my biggest question, Mark. I really think this week, I don't know how controversial this may be, 
this weekend is going to be more. How much did the FAMU offense and Musa improve? What does the play calling, the schemes look like? Can they establish the rushing attack? You look at FAMU last year, they struggled to run the ball. They had the worst rushing attack in the swag. I don't even believe they averaged 100 yards rushing per game last year. This week is more about FAMU's offense than it would be Jackson State's defense because I have a lot more question marks about FAMU's offense. So I think it is a bigger challenge for Jackson, but I do think they match up really well. And I just think the bigger question for me is, did Willie Simmons and his offensive staff make the corrections that needed to be made to realistically be a championship contender this year? Great points. Valid points indeed. Uh, you know, with FAM, you made a great point. I saw FAMU throughout last year as the season went on. They were notorious slow starters. And while after they got the doors, you know, beat off of them, blown off of a rider against Jackson State, they did kind of they won out but every game after that jackson state l was kind of the same like you stated they started slow and a lot of that was against solid to very good defenses and i think some of that had to deal with like you stated they had the worst rushing attack in the conference and we all know you know as football fans you play the game when you're one defense dimensional offensively it kind of handicaps your playbook it makes you very easy to defend um, well, for the opposition rather to defend. So I think, you know, they have Goss and Coven, two all-conference offensive linemen. You get Cardo Thomas, the LSU transfer, like you stated. So they, their offensive line will be better um, to where the protection will be there for Musa. They'll be able to run the football. They have a diverse stable of running backs as well. So it's just going to come down to, like you stated, their ability to be balanced and move the football and finish drives with points. You don't always have to be touchdowns, but if you're going to have five to six drives and a half, if half, if not more than half of them in with points, that's a win. That's progression. And that's something that, you know, they can work on and kind of build upon week after week. I've been high on FAMU throughout the season, um, throughout the offseason. I think they should win the Swag East, but I do think kind of very similar to Jim Harbaugh in Michigan the past few years, eventually for them to kind of live up to what they always potentially could be, they had to beat their nemesis. They had to beat their Achilles heel, the Buckeyes, and they finally did. And so for FAMU, Jackson State is their Ohio State. They have to get over that hurdle. This is low, This is quotations. Uh, Jackson State team that isn't on the level talent-wise that they used to be a couple years ago. It's very good. I think what they proved is they'll be an eight to nine win team um, at worst off of what I've seen. But FAMU is the most talented team in the conference. They got Musa coming back, first team, all-conference quarterback. Isaiah Majors, first team, all-conference linebacker. Your two uh, leaders on offense and defense have returned. You had a depth in the running back room. Added reinforcements to the offensive line. You have Kendall Bowler um, in the secondary. You have Javon Morgan in the secondary as well. The all-conference talent, the veteran leadership, the experience is there. You have to come through. And if they don't, Blue, I think we can agree. It'll be the same old, same old, long year for me and fam. You and a very disappointing season that has high expectations. Because Willie has said, celebration bowl or bust. But your final thoughts on that before we move on. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, going in, like, if you would, if, if this, if let's just take the South Carolina State game away, if you would have asked me who I thought was the favorite going into this game, I probably would have said FAMU two weeks ago. 
But after the way Jackson looked, after the momentum they're building, because the biggest thing was you had a lot of new pieces, and it was like, hey, we, we look good in practice. We look good this offseason. We have all these new pieces. Can we put it together and win a game? And I think the way they won the game, being so dominant, being – I mean, they checked off a lot of boxes last week. I just wondered, I mean, that momentum for them to really carry them this weekend. And I, I think they match up really well with FAMU based on what I saw last weekend. And I I, I just – when I look at Willie Simmons and the pressure that's on him, I mean, I, I've said on my show a few times that if, if you listen to Willie Simmons' interviews closely, this offseason he carried a different energy about him where, like, I feel like he understands that, man, if it's not this year, then what year is it going to be? Like, what, what's the next step for us if we don't get this done this year? Because at the end of the day, they were the ones that set the, that set the precedent of a celebration Boulder bus. We're going to go schedule Lincoln. We're going to go schedule, um, well, what, what is it, uh, West Florida. I mean, so 9-2 and two is probably not getting into the playoffs. You might be able to get in at 10-1 and one with an FBS win, maybe depending on what the bubble looks like. I mean, the pressure's all on them now, especially because Jackson took a lot of the pressure off of themselves last week. I just – I I, I, I lean Jackson going into this matchup. I made the ball in this I just think they got the momentum. It's one of those situations where I think they're the hot team right now. And I said in the preseason, everyone kind of was shocked that I had them in my preseason FCS top 25. And I compared this team to Incarnate Word coming into last year. And the reason I did is you look at Incarnate Word, first-time head coach, a guy who's kind of been around the program. They went and got a a sixth, seventh-year quarterback who's been around college football. You know, people had some question marks about, but they knew Lindsey Scott was talented. And putting him with an experienced offensive coordinator in the right offense unlocked the untapped potential. You look at Jason Brown's performance last week, and he's being added to watch list, Walter Payton watch list, all kinds of different things. This team is shaping up to be similar to Incarnate Word, where they might have had a lot of new pieces, a new head coach, a lot of people doubted them, but they're still a really talented team because the foundation has been laid. And I, th- I think Jackson finds a way to get, get finds a way to get it done this weekend in Miami. Great point, great point. The coordinate word comp is a great one because, you know, Cameron Ward transferred. You bring in Lindsey Scott from a rival school, rather, with exp- not Lindsey Scott, but um, you bring somebody like him from a rival school to come in. And with that veteran experience, with the first time head coach, they take off and, you know, they're competing for an FCS national championship. So uh, I think Jackson State's in a good spot. They do match up well with FAMU, but. You know, like you stated, fam, you build a schedule. Like they build a schedule to compete in the celebration bowl because you're playing a D2 school, two D2 schools. Now, granted, you're playing a D2 finalist in West Florida, but they're still D2. And then you're playing arguably one of the worst FBS schools in the country in South Florida as well. So they got the veteran squad. They've got, and politely, a cupcake schedule. If they don't have double digit wins this year, it's a failure. And so a great way to get to double digit wins is to make a statement and etch out your nemesis, Jackson State. So we'll see how that turns out this Sunday. Next topic at hand, chances of the Colorado Buffaloes upsetting TCU. So Blue, SI Sportsbook labeled the Buffs as a near 21-point underdog as they head on the road to face the reigning Big 12 champion Horn Frogs. 
this Saturday in week one. The roster overhaul has been well documented. They only have nine players from last year's rosters on the field. Meanwhile, on the other side, TCU, they lost Max Duggan, but a lot of people may forget their week one starter against the Buffaloes last season was Chandler Morris, who's back to start week one against the Buffaloes yet again. Obviously, Morris went out with the injury, and then the rest was history when Duggan came in. Um, he's leaking hard for all attack that in-house feels they're deeper than they were last season, and last season's team was a college football national championship competitor. We all know Colorado Blue. They got the skill position players from Shador, Travis Hunter, Jimmy Horn, Xavier Worthy, etc. to compete within their conference and outside their conference this season. But how realistic is a week one W against TCU? Is it valid or invalid? Um, I personally wouldn't predict a week one victory against TCU. But I, I do think it's going to be a little bit more competitive than people are probably thinking. Um, it's just it's tough to project what Colorado is just in general. Um, you know, I think Shador is going to be just fine. Of course, Travis is going to do his thing. But man, some of the players that they don't have eligible, some of the players they brought in that, you know, haven't necessarily maybe turned out, they just got too many question marks for me. And I understand that everyone's looking at TCU as a one-hit wonder. But – Sonny Dykes was winning games before he got to TCU. Like, this is a guy who knows how to build a program. There's no reason that he was deemed the favorite for that job. He's a he's a legend in the state of Texas. He knows how to recruit that state, knows what it's going to take to win the Big 12. And I, I think when you look, like you said, Chandler Morris was at the actual week one starter, gets hurt, and Max Duggan comes in and has a heck of a year, man. And I think with Morris healthy, with some of the pieces they brought in. And I, I don't think they're as defeated as people think. I think when you look at that defense, yes, they lost some pieces in the secondary in that front seven, but they had a lot of guys who, who, who were active, I would say. They didn't, might not have started, but they were playing. They were rotating guys in and out. There were certain guys who now had that experience and knows what it's going to take to go win a championship and make that run to the college football playoffs. I just think it's a tough road game week one with all the question marks. I think their offense should be good. I still have questions about the line of scrimmage. And I just don't know how good the defense is going to be for Colorado. At, at the end of the day, they did the screen game didn't instill confidence in me that they were going to have a, a shutdown defense. They didn't have a bona fide pass rusher. They're not very big on the interior of the defensive line. I think that's going to play into the strength of TCU, who have a lot of talent at running back as well, on top of what Morris brings at the quarterback spot. I expect TCU to get out of this game with a win. I think somewhere around 10, 13. I do think it's going to be competitive early on, especially with week one, knocking off the rust, a lot of new pieces on both sides of the football. It's going to be a prime time, you know, 11 o'clock, a Big Ten kickoff game or a class kickoff game. It's going to be competitive early, but I expect TCU to have enough talent to get out of there with about 10 point win. I agree with you. Um, I think right now, considering everything that we know and don't know, I think it's too big of a task, too big of an ask, rather, for Colorado to come into TCU and get a dub. Uh, big, my big concern for them has just been the line play. Um, they do look small defensive. I they look small at on the D line spot. They look like a small team. I think overall, and I feel like in an opening day matchup against the Horn Frogs, who, you know, they're not your, they're kind of akin to 
what the Big 12 used to be in the past when Texas was at its apex, when Oklahoma was at their apex um, in, like, the early, mid-2000s. They're a big team, and they run the football. They're very balanced. You brought up Sonny Dykes and his connections with um, the Texas State area. I remember Sonny Dykes because I'm from Louisiana when he coached Louisiana Tech, and he helped build them up into a respectable mid-major factor before he transitioned to Cal. So he knows how to build a program. He knows how to recruit. He knows how to get these guys ready. And I think the only way I can see Colorado winning is Dion's going to have to pull up his big boy pants, and he's going to probably have to outcoach. He's going to have to be aggressive at times. He's going to have to know when to take a chance, when not to take a chance. But a big thing for them, can't turn the ball over, got to protect your door. And you got to maximize drives. And a lot of your drives, anytime you get past the 50, the attention should be we got to get points. And so this is going to be an interesting year for Colorado overall. I do think that they're a couple years away from being legitimate factors. Will Dion be there in a couple years? That's another conversation for another day. But, you know, when I see the likes of USC, you know, Caleb Williams is a dog, but their defense is still a question mark. Uh, Utah, Cameron Rising is coming back from his ACL injury. When will he be fully 100%? You know, they're a favor, favorite as well. And then, obviously, Oregon has Bo Nix. But, you know, can he replicate his 40-touchdown season from a year ago? So, I think they have the schedule, and I think they're in a conference. Well, they'll, they'll be competitive throughout the year, and there's a chance they'll make a bowl game for the first time in a minute. But focusing on TCU in general, that matchup, I think, it's a tall ask. I think it's a tall ask. But if, Blue, question for you, ideally, if you're Deion Sanders, outside of wanting to win the game, what's the best case scenario this team could take away from a loss in terms of how they want to look and present themselves, not just to the audience that's watching on live TV, but for the rest of the conference to make them understand that they'll be a legit factor this season? Um, I, I, pers- I, I personally think that the biggest thing is just looking confident on the defensive side of the football. And I think at the end of the day, man, his main goal is for Shador to get drafted. You want to leave this game with Shador passing for a lot of yards, having an efficient game, you know, almost out-dueling Chandler Morris. The worst-case scenario for Colorado, because we all expect their offense to be the strength of the team, is, man, if you go out there and you get outplayed offensively by TCU and Chandler Morris, that does not bode well, like when you said you got, I mean, not even just Caleb Williams, Bo Nix, Cam Rising. Michael Penix led the country in passing yards last year from Washington, who's coming in with top 10 expectations. And then you still got a guy you mentioned earlier, Cameron Ward, coming back to Washington State, who a lot of people think can take a major step forward in year two in that Cougar system, man, it's going to be a gauntlet quarterback-wise in the Pac-12. So the number one thing you want to see, defensive competency, defense, you know, just are we going to be better defensively than we were last year? They had statistically the worst defense in the country last year. Cannot have that happen again. And then, it's, you know, what does Shadora look like? Is this the first step for his quote, unquote, Heisman campaign, his NFL draft campaign that everyone in the media and everyone around Colorado has been pushing, you better go out there and ball out against TCU because there's going to be some huge quarterback battles later in the year that you're going to need some positive momentum built already to really compete with some of these guys in the back flow. 
Absolutely, man. Pac-12 this year, definitively, we could say it's the quarterback conference. It's the ultimate quarterback conference this season in college football. And for Chidur, when he, if he wants to be in those national conversations, the the NFL draft convos where he's a day one, day two selection, it starts here against a TCU team that's probably going to be the best, if not second best defense he plays on his schedule in 2023. So. Can't wait to see what happens there. Up next for us, Blue, most intriguing SWAC opening day matchups outside of FAMU and Jackson State because we touched base on that. I have a couple in my notes that I'm excited to see, SWAC matchups. Prairie View versus, versus Texas Southern and then Southern versus Alabama State. They're calling both of those games Labor Day Classics. So let's start with PV and TSU. Big question, can Andrew Body? break the curse his program they haven't beaten pv in nearly 10 years and now they have a home game to do so um so that's kind of my big question for you boo how confident are you that tsu can finally flip the script and get a dub and will their chances of getting a dub start with just offensive efficiency and competency because last time these guys played opening day last year body showed flashes but the story of Texas Southern as a team offensively was they weren't really able to string together consistent drives. How important is that being a possibility in order for them to beat Prairie? Yeah, this, this this is probably the game I would have picked in terms of, I mean, I think this might even, I, I understand everyone's, you know, the hype around Jackson and KMU because, you know, they're the, some of the bigger fan bases and all that. I really do think that this could be a – this is probably the most intriguing game of the weekend. Uh, when you look at the – like it's eight in a row now for PV. They've they've really established dominance in this rivalry game. But I think with Texas Southern, you're facing such a do-or-die year on so many different fronts. When you, when you look at Clarence McKinney, I mean, this is a do-or-die year. You were one game away last year from – possibly going to represent uh, the SPAC West and the SPAC Championship. Of course, Andrew goes down with an injury against Alabama A&M late in that game, and Alabama A&M storms back and, and comes back. But you, you, the past two years, everyone's talked about, man, we brought in 60, 50, 60 freshmen. They're all still here. They're all developed. This is our time. And the hype train for Texas Southern has kind of been going since Andrew's gotten there, and it's just never – like the hype has never matched the production, in my opinion. And I think the same goes for Andrew. You know, I, I, I know his family. I've talked to Andrew. I've talked to his family. This is a do or die year for Andrew because the hype has never really matched the production. I understand that, you know, he, he probably has all the measurables and, and he has all the talent in the world that seems to be untapped right now. But his first year, he was a true freshman playing in Texas Southern with a lot of freshmen. I, I think we all give him a pass. Last year, he struggled with some injuries with the young wide receiving core, and there's no more excuses now. You're a junior. Like, it's time to go win a SWAC championship or get to the SWAC championship, or, man, the hype is going to be too much, man. I'm concerned that if they can't prove it this year on the field, that this is going to be a case of, man, they were completely overhyped on all aspects. I think hiring a new defensive coordinator, obviously the guy from Grambling State, is a big deal because – the, the thing that worries me about this matchup, even though I'm going to lean Texas Southern strictly because Andrew Body, I believe that this is the year he could take the step. The thing that worries me about the matchup is that PV strength is the run game. 
They've returned all five starting offensive linemen. I want to say they've returned eight of the 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 uh, eight of the two deep in terms of offensive line. It might be nine of uh, of the two deep on the offensive line. You bring in Caleb Johnson, who's an all swag running back, combined with Ahmad Antoine. You've got Trazon Conley, who also can be a rushing threat at the quarterback spot. And you're going up against a Texas Southern team that allowed over 200 yards per game on the ground. That could be a recipe for disaster if this defense doesn't take a step forward under this new defensive coordinator. So that's the thing that worries me is I just think stylistically this could be a very bad matchup for Texas Southern. And when I look when I look at it on the flip side of PV, Bubba McDowell had a solid first year. I don't think it was bad. I think the it was a bad taste in the fans and alumni in his mouth. The fact that they lost to Valley the last week to kind of cost them that Swag Quest championship. But I think what you can't have happen, I know it's a different season. You can't go back to back with a loss to Valley to cost you a championship. And then you turn around and you lose to Texas Southern in one of the biggest rivalry games in the conference and especially that division. That would just be, uh, that would be tragic for his career. And I would really wonder. What if, if PB doesn't have the year they're expected to have and were voted fifth? I want to say in that division, you can't have that happen. Or you're looking at Bubba McDowell wondering what his what is his longevity at PV before they look another direction if they start losing the Liberty Day Classic, if they can't compete in the loaded West. I, I think this game is huge for both teams, but man, the pressure on Texas Southern, I think it I I know this is gonna sound crazy. It might be more than the pressure on Florida and Hill. That sound a little outlandish, but I feel like it's fair. You know, Texas Southern really dating from the really the off season. Um, I wrote a couple pieces for the HBC for HBCU Legends, and I kind of stated in my like um early twenty twenty three predictions. Man, I had Texas Southern winning the West. Now, obviously, since that's happened, in my opinion, their best football player on the team, Isaiah Hamilton, he's no longer with them. He's playing at Houston now, but you still have Andrew Body, still have Michael Atkins. Um, you still bring back uh Ladarius Owens. Yeah, like you still have your running game. I think they went out in the recruiting class, Blue, and added better receiving talents. So they'll have a better receiving core than they had a season ago. You said they got a new DC from Grambling State. Hopefully he helps improve their run defense issues. And so um, even though they lost Zay, they feel like they have the experience over time from previous freshmen they've grown into juniors and they've added some more depth as well from the transfer portal texas southern man they still have the talent the players and now two years of development to where their junior and senior seasons their core which is mostly juniors and seniors from this day forward until they're going until they graduate they should be competing for swag championship births they should and so it was weird for them blue because they technically improved last year from Andrew's first season to Andrew's second. They weren't really uh, swag title contenders when a lot of these guys were freshmen. They became that next year, but it still oddly felt like they just weren't legit. Like, okay, you they beat Southern and Grambling in the same season. I think that was the first time that happened in forever. So that's great. But then if you look at it from what it is, Southern last year was disappointing. Grambling last year was in a rebuilding year. And when it came time for Texas Southern to play up against teams that were kind of on their level or a little bit above, blown out by Jackson, 
uh, lost to um, lost to Alabama, Alabama A now. And yeah, you know, Andrew went out with the injury, but I mean, those are games you got to get. You know what I'm saying? They didn't. So it's a huge year for for Texas Southern, man. And I think they have to break the snide. You have to be the Prairie View team. I don't think it's going to be easy because Prairie View is bringing back the same squad from last year. And I think both teams are in a unique spot because I think both coaches, if they don't have the seasons that I think their programs feel like they should have, wouldn't be shocked if in 2024, one of these two teams have new, have a new coach, have a new head coach because they're too talented. Um, they've got upperclassmen experience on their side. If they're not able to get a swag championship or at least get a swag championship berth it's a failure now pv in my eyes they have the toughest schedule in the swag so they can like not make the swag championship and low-key be a playoff factor but that may seem like a stretch and so i'm like i agree with you i think this is the most intriguing matchup in the conference this weekend because of what pv and tsu have built the past few years, like the amount of equity they've built as a program has gotten them to the point where this is around the time they need to solidify themselves as the top dogs in the SWAC West. And I don't know if they will this year because I'm high on Grambling. I think Southern, not that high on Southern, but it's still Southern. So they'll find a way to get some dubs. And I don't think UAPB will be a slouch either. I obviously think they, I obviously think UAPB is a couple years away. But new coach in Lonzo Hampton, we'll talk about them later. So it's just a lot of questions. And one of these two have to make this game coming up the statement win that kind of fast track a season full of high expectations. And my next game, Blue, Southern versus Alabama State. I'm going to call this the quarterback questionable. Harold Blood versus Demetrius Davis. I just want to see how Southern offense will look behind a new single caller. That's not Bashawn McCray as well as their stacked backfield room that's coming back. And then on the other side, Demetrius Davis, he's going to be given a short lease this year. Can he make sure that rocking with him for another year as QB1 was the right decision made by Eddie Robb? And my biggest question for you, Blue, is how important is this game for the quarterbacks of each of these teams in terms of solidifying their stance as a QB1 for their programs long-term this season? Yeah, I mean, this game, I, there's so many question marks. It's almost hard to predict because, like you said, the quarterback question is so huge. I mean, I'm going to be honest, I have a little bit more faith in Southern going into this game, shockingly, because I've heard such bad things about D. Davis throughout fall camp. And, I mean, there's a lot of people who think he's been outplayed by the transfer they brought in and that, I mean, from what Eddie Rob's saying, Dee's going to get the start, but it's just, you almost wonder if he, he kind of falls into like the dually conversation about how long is his leash and are you willing to bench him? You've got this four-star kid transferred in from an SEC school. He started out his career winning the MEAC swag, player, uh, player of the game, all that. How short of a leash does he actually have? And then I look at Southern – where I give them the advantage is they, their offensive line is always solid. They've really built a strong offensive line culture. They got a lot of nice pieces returning on the offensive line. And as great as Corey Merritt and some of those guys are in terms of running back, or Juwan Howell, my bad, Juwan Howell, as great as he can be, 
and Southern's so deep in terms of running backs that I feel like they their Harold Blood's not facing as steep of a task as maybe D Davis is because I do think Southern's gonna be able to run the football, especially because Alabama State lost a lot of pieces in that in that front and forward. They do return Bubba. We know what he can do. Man, that's a kid like we'll get you 150 tackles in a year. But you lost Brandon Gaddy. You lost um, um, Nelson Jordan. You lost some of these strong defensive line pieces. Who's going to step up there? Because at the end of the day, Bubba can't do it all by himself. So that's where I give someone the advantage. And then I'm just looking at the wide receiving cores because the funny the funny thing about this game is as big as the QB question mark is. Would there be any argument that these are two of the most talented wide receiving cores in the conference? I mean, you have some studs on both of these wide receiving cores. It's just going to come down to a to a conversation and an analyst of is either quarterback going to be able to get those guys the ball? Man, listen, Keyshawn Johnson has all the potential in the world as a wide receiver, but he didn't get to show it because D. Davis in that quarterback room last year was so inconsistent. So I'm going to lean Southern in this game. This just seems like a game Southern usually wins. I trust their rushing attack a little bit more. I think their secondary is on par with Alabama State. I love Adrian Maddox and what he's doing. But in terms of man for man, you've got Jordan Carter, Christian Davis. you got um, the other Bowie State transfer, Dimitri Morcel, that had to sit out last year. He's back at safety. And he can play some corner. I mean, they got so many pieces. And then we look at Southern's defensive line unit. And they were playing, there were eight different guys who got starts last year. So they have a front four who might be new faces outside of the Dumases and Trey Langs. But all those guys were young and had starting experience. So I'm going to give Southern the advantage, but I'm going to be very curious to see if, if either coach, if Harold Blood goes out there and doesn't play well, if Dee Davis doesn't go play well, how, how quickly will these head coaches be willing to make that quarterback change? Absolutely, Blue, man. And both programs came into the year with quarterback concerns, and they understood that and addressed that accordingly through the transfer portal and recruiting because they added depth to the quarterback room. For a game like this, where I think both teams will lean on a running game, but if it's tight, and it's tight because somebody's quarterback isn't playing up to their standard, He's going to get yanked. They're going to put another guy in there. And if he's able to produce motion with the offense, they're going to rock with him going forward. And uh, really focus on D. Davis, man. He didn't look good. And I remember watching his spring game. I thought Nyquilette looked better. And obviously, Nyquilette for Alabama State, he's not even in the quarterback conversation right now. They're going to really lean on either D. Davis or the transfer Alabama State got um, in the portal. But. You hit that hit around the head with the receiving room. Both of these teams have talented receivers. Southern has some go get them guys on the outside that can make plays on the ball. And Keyshawn Johnson, blue like when I wrote a piece about it on the HBCU Legends, he was one of my breakout candidate guys coming into the year because he's so talented. Low key had a career year that nobody knows about because we all remember how poor D Davis was in the pocket. This is a huge season, huge game. Let's start with the game instead of the season. Huge game for D. Davis in terms of his college football career. He didn't work out at, at Auburn. And right now he's struggling to work out in the swag at Alabama State. And I'm going a step further, man. They won six games last year despite D. Davis. And that's not supposed to happen because they shelled out some NIL money to get this guy to come here. And they won six games despite his poorest play. I think they improved the offensive line. I think they had an underrated underrated recruiting class that addressed 
depth concerns in the secondary because they lost a lot of key guys from Urshad um, and, and those guys in the back end. And I think they added more talent to the receiving room. I was a huge friend, fan of Asa Greg, who was a part of that um football conference in D.C. And his school beat Damatha to win the state championship in that and at a conference. So the talent is there at the skill position for both of these teams. It's just going to go down to can the quarterbacks mass up, maximize the skill set around them. And I, I'm probably going to leave Southern lean Southern as well, Blue, because Harold Blood, like you stated, he doesn't have to do a lot because that running back room in Baton Rouge is so deep. And he's got big play receivers on the outside to where as long as he game manages, manages it, executes third and short, utilizes his mobility as well, be a leader on and off the field, I think it's his job to keep. D. Davis, man, it's he I need to see. Did he make the improvements as a pocket passer? Did he make the improvements with his pocket awareness, with his accuracy, being able to read defense? Because he's already small of stature. He already doesn't have the strongest arm. So if he's behind there struggling to make things happen and he puts himself in harm's way, I just don't see how he lasts in a season where Alabama State is in a crossroads. And this is my next question for you, Blue. Would you be shocked if this Hornet squad regresses this season after an incredible year they had the year prior where they superseded, super exceeded expectations? Would you be surprised if they regress? And would that potential regression put Eddie Robb in a unique hot seat come year three? Um, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be very surprised. Like I said, I got questions about their defensive line. I think, you know, Pierce Child leaving is big. I love Adrian Maddox back there, but I still think they got some guys who are a bit unproven in the secondary. So can the defense replicate how dominant they were at times last year? Because the defense won them multiple games. Are they going to be that good again? Like, like like we talked about, man, I think Jamon Howell, Keyshawn Johnson, they got some good pieces. But at the end of the day, you're not winning this conference. You're not competing for this conference without a competent quarterback. Can't, if they find a competent quarterback, I, I think Alabama State competes for the SWAT championship. That's a big if, though. And so, and to me, I wouldn't be surprised if they took a step back. But I think I, it's tough because, listen, I know everyone's so quick to put everyone on the hot seat. I think Eddie Robb would be on the warm seat. Maybe not the hot seat, but I think it would make 2024 a crucial year for the trajectory of of Alabama State's time under Coach Eddie Robinson Jr. Perfect, perfect case, man. The warm seat, as funny as that sounds, I think that's a good one because I think he built a lot of equity, six-win program in a rebuilding year um, where I thought he did a great job of utilizing his recruiting class and the old regime's recruiting class, kind of meshing them together and getting success. Uh, and so now it's really about building a point from there. And whether he likes it or not, if they don't have the success because of D. Davis' struggles, that's going to fall on him because that was his guy in the recruiting process. He vouched for him to be there, and he didn't pan out. And so hopefully it doesn't come to that point because I like Eddie Robb. I really like this Alabama State team. Players, I like their culture. Um, you know, me and Adrian Maddox, you know, we had a conversation a little bit in the DMs. I like him as a player. I think he is an NFL pro. 
Uh, I, it just really comes down to the signal caller position for a man. If he's able to come out and just so some improvement, because like you stated, Blue, this team is talented enough to where they're a quarterback away. They're not like a lot of teams in the swag where they're obviously they need a quarterback, but they need other things too for them to be legit factors. Not this Bama State squad. They're a QB away. And if they get marginal improvement in that area under center, I think this is a seven to eight win team. Don't think that's enough to win the West, to win the East this year and represent the East in the conference championship. But I think that's enough to make the boosters and the fan base and the alumni in Alabama State confident for a future next season. Last topic I want to touch base on with you, Blue, before we wrap this up. Which first year coach in the SWAC do you think will have the most success in 2023? Obviously, Alonzo Hampton of UAPB. Kendrick Way of Mississippi Valley and Raymond Woody Jr. of Bethune. Um, out of these three, UAPB starts their season tonight. They play Tulsa on the road. Um, you've had the great privilege to be able to talk to Kendrick Way of Valley um, in terms of what he's building there. And then Raymond Woody of Bethune, he's kind of an unknown, but behind the scenes, he's built a, a staff that has FBS experience and he's utilized his connects to kind of round out a rebuilding with Dune roster. Out of the three blue, who do you think has the most success? Who do you think has the least success year one? And beyond this year, who do you have confidence in long-term being able to turn their respective program around to about maybe two to three years from now, looking at these three rebuilding squads as legit competitors in the SWAT? Um, I think, I think it's a really tight race between Kendrick Wade and um, Alonzo Hampton and Pine Bluff. I think those are the two easy bets. I think Bethune Cookman just when you look at everything that happened this offseason, it's just it's it's gonna be real tough for me to see them competing for anything worthwhile anytime soon. I mean, a bad coaching hire can set you back a long way. And they had to make two hires in a single offseason and had to search for another head coach like during almost during spring ball. I mean, it was – it set – I think it really set the roster back. I think, you know, I like Amari Hill Robinson and some of the pieces they have. But overall, I have questions just about how quickly they really can compete for a championship. Now, for Valley and UAPB, I put them kind of 1A, 1B. The only reason I'm, I'm going to give the slight edge to UAPB is because, I mean, you forget, this is a team that's only, what, a year, about two years away. I mean, two years ago was fighting for the SWAC championship. Like, this is a team that had talent, was winning games. I mean, what, go back two years ago. I mean, I don't know if you remember the Thursday night game and they gave up like 30 second half points to Alcorn State and Felix yeah. Harper. I mean, they had Fred McNair and the, the, those guys on the ropes. So I think the, the foundation could be laid there. And the only reason it's tough to project project Valley, man, is it's, it's just been so long since we've seen that team compete for anything worthwhile. That's that's the only thing that makes me worried about Valley. But I think they made the right hire. You have an alum that understands the challenges that you're going to go through in terms of building a trying to build a contender at Valley. I, I love the staff you put together. I think they're going to be much improved this year. I, the only reason I have them 1A, 1B is because I think Valley wins more games this year, but I think UAPB competes for competes for the SWAC quicker just because of the divisions, too. I mean, you look at the West, 
I mean, you can make an argument that, what, five of the six teams this year could win the SWAC West in some form of capacity, depending on who, you know, quarterbacks and, and who wins what games. But UAPB plays in a much more parity, uh, I would say a, a, a division with more parity. When I look at Valley, that it's going to be tough to catch up to the Jackson State's, the FAMUs, and then even, man, the Alabama States have been really good recently. So that's why I give UAPB the edge. But I think this year, Valley wins more games. you got two D2 games on the schedule. I think they beat Central State week one. We'll see about Delta State. That's going to be a really, really tough game for them to win. But if they get that game, you're sitting the two wins for Valley. you still got UAPB that has to come to Valley. It's a tough place to win with that grass. We all know it. And so that might be three. And then you get Bethune-Cookman, who I give them the advantage. I mean, if you're sitting there with four wins year one for Kendrick Wade, you have to be feeling pretty good about that hire. Absolutely. Look, I'm a huge, and I think I commented this on one of your live shows, and you shouted it out and kind of addressed it. I'm a huge believer in what Valley's building, not just with the football program. They, with their new president, he came in and really cleaned house and all of the athletic um, departments around, uh, really the entire athletic department, he cleaned house and kind of put new guys in there to lead this program, with the exception of I think the basketball coach, I think he's still there. And I just, yeah. they decided to say, you know what? Football wives are going to go an alum who understands the school. And we're going to give him the keys to kind of make us into a respectable contender again in the swag. And Kendrick Wade has done that. And he's really um, tapped into the Mississippi area and the Memphis area to kind of build out his roster. And I think, this year, out of the two, I think him and I think between Valley and UAPB, Valley's going to have the most success. I think their schedule opens an avenue to do so. And they have, I think, 91 scholarship players now. So now they have the depth that they never used to have. And so I think they'll get a fast track on it early. But you bring up a great point. In the next two years, the Swag West is going to be weaker. And that's going to allow a squad like UAPB to compete in two years because body won't be there anymore um southern may be going through into another transition uh grambler may be going into another transition so alcorn as well even though as long as the alcorn is fraping there they're always a competitor and so there's that and i like what alonzo hapson has done so far in terms of small recruiting class this year but he prioritized the state of arkansas and he's really banking on the guys that were there when um the guys that were there with Don Gamble, the previous coach, when they made, like you stated, the spring run to the conference championship, he's leaning on developing those guys. And so his his expertise is, I'm going to use the overgenes. He's taking the Eddie Robinson philosophy. The overgenes players, I'm going to rock with them if you want to stay. Uh, my And I'm also going to bring my guys recruiting-wise to come in to where I want to establish a culture to where over time um, my guys are able to come in and help us ascend to where we need to go. So those are the two guys I'm high on. And I think Valley, I will say Valley's going to have, I think the next two years, the more prevalent amounts of success. But as we get deeper and deeper into this decade, as long as uh, Alonso's there, because I think the connects that he has at the FBS level, if he does have success with UAPB relatively quickly, I don't think he'll be there long-term. 
But as long as he's there, they're going to get better every year and they're going to be competitive factors. And he's going to get the best out of that Pine Bluff area that he feels is an untapped jewel within Arkansas. And he wants people to go to that school from the state and be a part of the change he's trying to make. So I like that on that end. Um, with Bethune, like you stated, man, they had a whirlwind offseason. It's incredible, Blue, that we're approaching week one and they have a roster full of players. Like It didn't look like that was going to happen considering everything that happened with Ed and management up top with the school. But they have a roster. They play Memphis week one. They're going to lose. And I think this is just going to be a full-blown rebuild, rebuild year for them to where I don't know if they win more than two games. So huge Kendrick Wade fan. I like what Alonzo Hampton selling. I think Raymond Woody, he's a wait or see guy for maybe the next two years. So with Valley, I want to touch base on them before we head out. Two D2, two D2 matchups. Um Central State and Soldier Field, week one, the at the Chicago Classic. Um, I think they win that. Um Delta State has been a thorn in their side forever. I think Delta State owns the season, owns the the series, like the season series, yes. like overall. Yeah. So that's so that's no guarantee. If they get through those first two games, two and zero, headed to Indianapolis to play North Carolina Central, how much of a win is that for Wade in house in terms of instilling confidence with this new program that it truly is a new version of Valley football? Um, I mean, I think it's a step in the right direction. I think Kendrick Wade would tell you that, you know, there's still a lot of work to do, but I think that's a big step. I mean, like you said, you like the fact that Valley is traveling to Delta State. So like Delta State's the home team in that matchup. That shows you where like this program was with Wade stepping in. I mean, you got D2 teams hosting your FCS team. That can't happen. That that's that's ridiculous. And like you you don't have the series record against them. And then you also got to remember Delta State came in last year's game as the favorite and won by double digits. Like, that, that is – I mean, and you've had conversations – I mean, you've had fans say that they wish they could replace Valley with Delta State with SWAC. I mean, that's what you're up against. So, I think two wins, two and no, a win over Delta State, who's a annual Gulf South uh, conference contender and at the D2 level, a playoff contender, a national title contender, that would be huge. And then it's just, you know, if you can get to, I think the, the, for Kendrick Wade, the key spot games are UAPB at home and on the road to Bethune-Cookman. Regardless of what happens at Delta State, if you get three wins, you can come away with two SWAC wins and then find a way to pull off a big upset in the SWAC, whether it's knocking off Alabama A&M again uh, or not knocking off uh, Alabama State at home or someone like that. That would be huge for Kendrick Wade. And if you're looking at 2-0 and and you can get to four wins, and then man, possibly find a way to pull off an upset and get five, man, that, that would be a, and that, that would be a superb year, better than anyone expected. But I think the goal should be three to four wins, four on the high side, beating Delta State. But I think the minimum for, for the step in the right direction is you have to beat UAPB and you've got to beat the Tempe this year. I agree, Blue. I think realistically three or four games, uh, three or four wins, is legit. I think high upside is five, and I'm willing to go a step farther. Depending on how I think they look their first two games of the year, I'll say any matchup they have where quarterback play is questionable, those are winnable games for them. I don't think they have the team to where they play 
uh, Central week three, they can hang because their quarterback play with Davis Richards is incredible. Jason Brown has shown he's legit. And FAMU, who they play at home, they play FAMU at home, which is going to be a unique one. And Jackson. And Jackson at home. So the two powerhouses, you got them on your home turf. But I don't think they're there yet to compete with those two programs because their quarterback play is, is that good. And their roster construction around them is that good as well. But, uh, yeah, I, you hit it on the head, man. I've never heard – now that I think about it, I've never heard a D1 school <laughs> go to a D2's home field to play any game. Like, I've never heard of that. So the fact that Valley has stooped to that level does show how down in the dumps they were. They're really down. So for them to go to Delta State and beat them, that's a step up. I mean that that's a that's a that's a low step up, but that's a step up for them. But I feel like the energy, the culture, the camaraderie, and the depth that they provided is all there. And one more thing before we wrap this up, Wade just came out and said Jamari Jones is his guy. He's going to be running with the ones. He's going to be the starter this year. He was at Swag Media Day as well. Um, from what you remember seeing of him last season. Um, to where he'll potentially be now. How confident are you that Jamari Jones as a quarterback is at least a decent level producer to be able to move this Valley team to a positive direction in 2023? Um, I've heard really good things. You know, I've, I've talked to some coaches over there and they said that Jamari is really taking this competition to heart and, and really stepped his game up. And that's a good stop because, listen, Dino came in with a lot of hype. A lot of people thought that he would be the guy coming from, I want to say, it was New Mexico, New Mexico State. Um, I, I, I'll, I'll be honest. I expect I expect to see multiple QBs for Valley week one, possibly even week two and week three. But I think what I think Kendrick's way of opening the competition, I think it's, it's brought out the best in Jamari in terms of pushing him to take his uh, – his game to the next level because he doesn't want to he, like this was his team like he doesn't want to go sit on the bench behind the transfer quarterback or anything like that so I, I'm impressed that he took his game to up a notch but we're gonna have to see it on game day it's one thing going out balling out in practice showing your coaches that you want the starting job it's a whole different thing going out here and winning games so I think that's what I'm gonna be looking forward to I don't think Jamari starts the entire season I think we see multiple quarterbacks and It'll be interesting to see whether Dino or, or Jamari really solidifies themselves as QB1. Valid points, valid points. I agree. I do remember seeing Jamari play last year. He was fine, but I was kind of shocked that when the new regime came in, he he stayed. Um, but it shows how much Kendrick Wade felt like Jamari, he felt like he saw something in Jamari to where he talked him in this thing, and he competes for the job against a Dino from New Mexico State who played FBS, has um, a big-time body type, has a big-time arm, and he was able to muscle him out and at least have the job figuratively heading into the week one matchup. But like you stated, um, yeah, I think these first two D2 games are a great opportunity for Wade to kind of decide who he wants to roll with the starting unit heading into HBCU play. And, you know, if that's Jamari, great. If it's not, if it's somebody else, that's great as well. I'm just really excited and intrigued to see what this program can be like this year. And I think we're going to see a brand of Valley football that's more than just tough play and we could play you close. It will be tough play, play you close, 
with a lot more sprinkles of talent that allows these close ball games to be potential breakaways in their favor. So can't wait to see what that looks like. But great to have my man Zach Blue Bloods spend time with me on his way to Louisiana to catch his game. Great to talk football with a guy on um, college football to be exact. Um, excited to see these variety of matchups and see where they go. Um, Blue, before you head out, just, you know, reminding people uh, what you're looking forward to this week, um, re-reminding where you're headed, and potentially say what college football games, no matter what conference, no matter FBS, FES, are you excited to see in terms of what they could reveal uh, for both programs? Yeah, man. Um, you know, on the road, headed to cover Nickel State, Sac State, man, nice start. They're not match up on NBA easy drive. A team like Sacramento said, I normally want to see play in person, so excited for that one. Can't wait to go cover that Notre Dame game, man. It's, that's been a bucket list stadium, and then to be there for such a historic moment is huge for me. So shout out to Eddie George and those guys for allowing me to come along for that. And I mean, I'm excited for next week too, man. Flying up to South Dakota, South Dakota State, Montana State, and arguably the regular season game of the year this year, man. I'm excited. Excited to see what that game looks like, man. I'm really high Montana State and South Dakota State this year. So that's going to be – that might be a national championship preview, man. But if you're looking for content, guys, um, the Blue Blood CFB.com, man. Full website going, man. Got some contributors working with us now, man. Daily FCS content. Of course, you can find us on YouTube, all podcasts, streaming platforms. And um, all social media, it's just at the underscore Blue Bloods, man. But I, I appreciate the invite, man. I always love – chopping up with you about some football and looking forward to being on here some more this year. No problem, man. Can't wait to have you on this year as well for the future. But uh, we'll see you guys later. Stay tuned for some more content. We'll holler at y'all. Peace.